Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Mm-hmm. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program. It is the Michael Dukes Show, Tuesday edition. The beatings shall now commence. That's all I'm saying. It's about to be. I always set the expectations high for Brad because, you know, he just, he loves that. He loves that. I always picture him in the back with a curled mustache and a whip, like, you know, giving us the truth, the truth that we don't want to hear, uh, but that we need to hear. We must hear. Uh, it's Tuesday, which means it's time for the weekly top three, the deep dive into three big issues uh, for us surrounding the state and things that we need to do now. <clears throat> Don't worry, next week will be the last Bad Tuesday, okay? And then the following Tuesday, Brad and I will just riff about, I don't know, Christmas, music, stuff. We're going to talk about good stuff. Because that last week, I'm just telling you, that last week is going to be no, it's no bad news. There's nothing, no, no, nothing, it's nothing political. And uh, we're working on some great guests and everything else for the remainder of this. But we're gonna we're trying to, <clears throat> you know, for the most part, we're still going to do Tuesdays. We're still going to do a few things here and there. But for the most part, we're going to be focusing more on uh, just slice of life stuff because that feels better, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel better as you get near the end of the year? Because I guarantee you, come the 16th of January, we are going to be hip deep <clears throat> in alligators. And it's going to be... It's going to be fun. Anyway, welcome to the program for today. Don't forget our recipe contest is still up on the Facebook page. We're still looking for we're still looking for new recipes. I mean, we had a little bit of a spurt there and now it's kind of slowed back down and I think we got one over the weekend. We're still looking for a recipe. You got a good chance of winning. All you got to do is post it up there. Go check it out. We'll talk about that in a little bit. In hour two of the program, Chris Story is going to be joining us, uh, and he's going to do a little bit of a betterment segment with us, or a little bit of PMA, positive mental attitude, and uh, <clears throat> more. Meanwhile, it's time to it's time to do it. We must we must face the music, take our medicine. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, comes in. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Scrooge. How are you? I mean, uh, how are you? <laughs> I, I, I was I was settling in with snidely whiplash, and, yeah, now, and now I we're know. going to now know. we're going to Scrooge. Huh? I know it's so mean of me to do that to set them up to set everybody up to get things going on. But you know, it's hard. Truth is hard sometimes, Brad. I mean, you lay that stuff out there, and people are just like, it's you know the the general consensus after you've been on the air is. Man, I, I'm glad we learned that, but boy, that hurts a lot, you know, kind of thing. So it's just one of those things. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, it, it it takes the week to sort of 
sort of get back ready for another beating? Is that what you're, <laughs> yeah, what kind you're of, you know, kind of. So that's uh, that's how it works. Well, anyway, um, so uh, hi, Brad. Uh, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming in. And uh, I'm sure you look forward to this every week, my constant beatdown of you before you beat down everybody else. So, um, all right. So. Oh, yeah. We got some big topics for today. Uh, we got more on the Cook Inlet, and then the Permanent Fund Board, and then campaign contributions. So, I guess we'll get started. What's the What's the latest on the? Of course, the Cook Inlet has been a big deal, and people down here in South Central are paying attention to it because the the potential for uh, you know gas restrictions and more are obviously affecting us, but it actually affects people across the state because of the intertie and energy production and everything else. There's more coming up here, so let's uh, let's get started here and see what you have to say. Well, it affects people across the state if uh, if the state decides to put money toward it as they did last time that we went yeah, into this. That's, we went into this situation. That's so, true. It's something. It's something that affects everybody. So the Cook Inlet. Is sort of like is sort of like the old uh, uh, story about the elephant, right? You you touch this and you think it's one thing, and you touch that part and you think it's another, and you touch this, and and really it's a much bigger issue than uh, than or the elephant's a much bigger thing than any one person is able to see by just touching touching a part of it, and that's that's the case with the Cook Inlet. And Nat Hertz has done a good job, I think, of revealing another part of the elephant uh, in a recent article he did in his Substack page, uh, Northern Journal, which for those who don't follow it, it's it's very, it's useful to follow. Uh, but it's been picked up now by most of the state's newspapers and the, and the, uh, the, the beacon and the public news. So uh, it's available generally anywhere anybody wants to go see it. The headline uh, is, um, there's lots of gas at Cook Inlet. Here's why some companies aren't are not drilling, and the article goes into depth in a uh, on a project that is uh, down by Anchor Point uh, on the Kenai Peninsula or off Anchor Point down by the Kenai Peninsula. The land-based portion of it is down by Anchor Point, uh, called the Cosmopolitan Project, and Cosmopolitan is predominantly right now certainly. Uh, an oil project, uh, developing an oil reservoir that's offshore uh, the Cook Inlet and, or offshore Anchor Point. And they've done that by directionally, directionally drilling. They're accessing it by directionally drilling down uh, and going in uh, horizontally into that oil pool and then producing it back to the, to the infrastructure that's uh, onshore. But according to Bluecrest, uh, the owner of that project, uh, there is a gas cap that sits on top of the oil uh, formation and a gas cap of some significant size that's not being produced at all. To produce it efficiently, you have to build an offshore rig or an offshore platform and then go down and spread out into uh, into the gas formation. Gas doesn't really lend itself to the type of horizontal drilling that, uh, that they're using for the oil pool. And, uh, and, and, it it would take a significant investment to uh, to develop the infrastructure to do that. The article mentions three hundred and fifty million dollars. That seems a little light to me, but but that's nonetheless what uh, what Cosmopolitan have talked about uh, uh, being the investment required. the The gas pool or the yeah the gas uh, the gas formation that's uh, 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 
part of the Cosmopolitan Project seems to be of some size, significant size. It's been tested. It's been evaluated by engineers. It's been independent engineers. It's been uh, uh, reported on by independent engineers and seems to be uh, of significant size that could that could help alleviate, if not resolve, uh, the Cook Inlet uh, gas crisis for enough for an extended period of time. But it's not being developed. And the reason it's not being developed is because it takes the 350 or or more million dollars to uh, to build the infrastructure. And the guy that owns uh, Cosmopolitan, the company that owns Cosmopolitan, Bluecrest, hasn't been able to raise the money to do that. Uh, and, and, and so Nat's article goes into a lot of detail about all of that and, and talks to the utilities about why they don't help uh, raise the money to develop, if the utilities are concerned about gas shortages, why they don't help to raise the money to uh, develop a, develop the project and goes into some detail about the oil and gas credits that uh, the cook, that were applicable in the Cook Inlet back in the early 20 teens and how they helped get it started, but then they then they were terminated and and now uh, are no longer available to help uh, help develop it. There there's a couple of other things that come out of this story that there that that aren't in the story that I think are important to understand as we're trying to shape the elephant. One of the problems with the Cook Inlet isn't it isn't supply, it's market. Um, we have we have really two purchasers, and there's three if you add Homer, but there's really two big purchasers of gas in the Cook Inlet. One is NSTAR and one is Chugach Electric uh, to run its gas-fired power plants. And, and that's really it. It's not a major market, it's not a major size. Um, to give you some idea of, of, of the, the, the issue with markets back in the 1960s, 1970s, uh, when Cook Inlet was first being developed, uh, they developed it for oil and there was a lot of gas they were finding that was coming up with the oil. And they flared it, uh, much like what you've got going on in West Texas with the Permian Basin, they flared it. And then the state imposed a no flare rule, no, uh, banned flares. So they, so they had all this oil, but they couldn't produce it without producing the gas. And the gas, and there wasn't a market for the gas. So, what they developed at the time was NSTAR came out of that, Agrium, the fertilizer plant that was down on the Kenai came out of that, and the LNG export plant uh, that was down on the Kenai came out of that. They developed a market to 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 absorb the amount of gas that was coming out of the coming out of the project. Well, now we've lost Agrium, and we've lost the LNG export. Uh, facility, uh, frankly, because it wasn't world-class size anymore. And so when you develop a resource in the, in the Cook Inlet, when you, when you look at gas in the Cook Inlet and you find a significant resource like, uh, like what the Cosmopolitan Project that Blue Crest has found, the problem with it, a problem with it, is you don't have enough market to make it pay out. I mean, if they developed it and they had all this gas, NSTAR and Chugach wouldn't be able to absorb enough of it uh, to, to, to really pay out the project. So part of the problem that they're in, in finding investors is they don't have enough market. If they go ahead and invest, develop the pool, they don't have enough market to be able to, uh, to sell all the gas and, and pay off the, make it, make it economically uh, attractive to do that. It's too big in the sense that uh, in the sense that uh, that the way the economics work. And there really isn't, unlike the old days when you had Agrim where you could stick some of the gas in the LNG export facility, uh, 
on Kenai where you can stick some of the gas. We don't have that anymore. So you just got those two markets. And if they're not willing to buy, and they can't buy enough to make it economic, and they're not willing to pay uh, more per unit to make it economic for the smaller units that you're able to, that, that, that they have, the smaller demand that they have to make it economic, then you can't, then you can't attract investors. One thing, so, so we're just sort of sitting there, sitting there with this developed resource or with this, with this identified resource, not developed, but this identified resource and sort of in this stalemate between, hey, we've got gas, but we don't have enough market to do it on our own and you're not willing to pay enough or you're not willing to help with the investment necessary to, to develop the resource. So we're just sort of set, standing in, sitting in this, in this Chinese standoff. One thing this article does do above all is, is to help identify that this isn't a supply problem. So when you when when Governor Dunleavy talks about well we're going to solve Cook Inlet by by uh, uh, giving up on royalty by uh, not collecting royalty with respect to additional developments that'll incentivize additional developments or George Rauscher's idea of some sort of you know reestablishing some sort of credits um, those aren't <laughs> those are those are tools you use to develop additional supply. Um, and, and it looks like, I mean, from Nat's article, it looks like a cosmopolitan is giving us a lot of additional supply. So we're, we're, those tools are really misfit to, to the situation we're, we're facing. Here's the deal. I mean, the deal is <laughs> the utilities, the utilities are the ones are the purchasers and they're the ones that need to make the economic decision. Are they willing to pay enough to just to, 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 to blue, to, Bluecrest to cause for the cosmopolitan cosmopolitan project to be developed. Are they willing to pay enough, or is it a better deal for them to go out and import LNG? And the article goes into uh, several uh, comments by the utilities saying it's a better deal for them to import LNG. The economics are more secure, the supply is more secure, the upfront cash is less uh, to do it, and it's a better deal for them to to look at uh, to look at importing LNG. So. It's another, I, I would say this is not the this is not the end story on the Cook Inlet, but it's another piece of the elephant that 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 Nat has helped to define or helped to identify that is giving us a better feel for the whole story. I I would say that it should be um, a, a sub substantial uh, uh, detraction from, if not the end of the supply side tools that Dunleavy's talked about, about uh, 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 giving up on royalty or that Rauscher has talked about, about additional credits. We have a supply identified. Nat's done a good job in this article to talk about a supply that's been identified. Now it's a question of whether we can afford in the sense of, of paying enough to incentivize investors to make the investment necessary to, uh, to, to produce the additional supply. It's a question now whether we can afford to pay enough, the economics work to develop that additional supply or not. We should, but we shouldn't be going out there now and saying, "Oh, we need to give, we need to throw a bunch of additional supply tools out there uh, to try to develop additional supply." We ought to be focusing on the supply that somebody's identified and figuring out whether that's going to be enough to whether whether we can make the economics work to bring that to uh, bring that to market. So, to summate, uh, the governor and others are treating it like it's a, a supply problem, and really the problem is is that it's a local demand and market problem. 
uh, in the long run is that you can't treat it like it's a, a supply problem because there's plenty of supply. You've just got to make the market, the dollars work out. And that's what's the, that's what, the, and that's why they're looking at importing because that is the cheapest, most reliable option in the future. Right. I will say this. So it's a supply problem, maybe for Hillcorp. It's a supply problem that, you know, Hillcorp doesn't have an identified supply they could develop to bring on, their, at least they're saying, that they could bring on to meet the market. It's over here in another corporation called Bluecrest. And so Hillcorp would say, ooh, I need, I need, you know, supply help to incentivize me to go out and, addition, and, and develop additional supply. But looking at the overall, which I think is what Nance done a very good job helping us do, looking at the overall, it isn't an overall supply problem. It's a, it's a much different problem than what Hillcorp and the administration have made out to this point. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're running a little bit behind here. We got to jump. Number two is dead ahead. Don't go anywhere. Back with more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Brad Keithley, our guest, Alaska's for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, Donna asks, could Hill Corp finance the development? I mean, since they're the ones that are looking for supply, could they finance the development? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Nat addresses that in the article. He talked to both Hillcorp and he talked to talked to a Bluecrest about it. And um, and and the response he got from Bluecrest was we haven't been able to agree on terms. So you got two corporations, each of which are trying to maximize their own their their own uh, uh, profit um, uh, who are who are, you know, who would have to do a deal in order to accomplish that? Hillcorp sitting there going, "We got money. <laughs> you got the gas, but we got the money. You need money, so you ought to give us a lot." Uh, ben, or Bluecrest is sitting there going, "We got the gas. You, we don't have the money, but we got the gas. You ought to give us a lot." So you have that, you have that dynamic going on. It, I mean, that would be that would be a solution. Hillcorp's got existing contracts they could extend, um, but. Uh, as as Nat says, they haven't been able to come to terms. So you think the ultimate, and I mean, this is again as a as a neophyte, as a layman, this is what I see on the outside. I think this is all going to basically come down to we're going to be importing gas because they can't figure it out, and there's not enough market to demand it. So ultimately, we're going to be you know in a few years we'll be just pulling gas in on the from the west coast somewhere, and that'll be it. That's where it's trending, Michael. Um, and, 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 you know, that's what the market is saying. The market is saying there's not enough demand. There's not enough price that, that, that people are willing to pay here for gas to finance, to, to support the financing and the development of the, of the Bluecrest uh, uh, option. I mean, basically, you know, some people try to put numbers to it and say, look, you know, imported LNG is expensive. It's maybe $12.00. Uh, an MMBTU, but hey, to finance, uh, given the given the market we have to finance Hill, uh, to finance the the, uh, the Cosmopolitan project, it'd take fifteen dollars or twenty dollars uh, in MMBTU by the time all of the costs are rolled in. So we're not. We, I mean, the economics say that the best price, the best the best course of action is the um, is the uh, 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 is is to is to import the LNG. 
as I say, we Alaska faced this issue before uh, when we when we shut down uh, uh, flaring, and the result was uh, Unical, I think, built the fertilizer plant, uh, con- or Marathon at the time built the LNG plant. The two big producers that were out in the Cook Inlet at the time, they each built a plant uh, to to create demand for the uh, supply that was out there. And really at the time, the economics were, we want to get more oil. We got to get rid of this gas. So let's go build a plant. Let's go build a uh, LNG export facility to create the demand to absorb the gas so we can produce the oil. Um, we, we don't we don't quite have that dynamic right now. Um, and certainly Cosmopolitan doesn't have the ability to go build um, uh, a fertilizer plant or a, or a LNG export facility to uh, uh, to absorb the excess supply. So um, that's that's where we are. Do you think that, uh, I mean, if, you know, all things being equal and uh, Dukes waves his magic wand and says, here's a major export facility, if they rebuilt it and made it a major export with the volume to be able to do it, is there enough volume in the Cook Inlet to export it if there was? It's just, it's just kind of one of those medium fields or what? It's kind of one of those medium fields. It's kind of one of those, it's one of those things where there'd be excess supply for a while, I mean, that's, that's, that's what happened to Kenai, right? That's what happened to the Kenai export facility. There was export supply for a while that kept it running. And that, that was in a period when there weren't a whole lot of world-class, world-scale export supply facilities. So Kenai was the first export facility from the U.S. Um, it had found a market in Japan, a relatively small market in Japan. So you had this relatively small excess that built an export facility and then it went over there. Um, that's not the world we live in now. The world we live in now is, is much different. Yeah. Bigger scale, a lot, lot more, a lot higher scale, a lot more gas required for that. looks like, uh, I mean, it's kind of sad to say, but it looks like Alaska will be importing LNG, even though we're sitting on trillions of cubic feet of it because the economics just, that's, that's the market. You're slaves to the market at that point. That's the, that's the bottom line. And, and the last thing we want is for the state to intervene and try to upset them and try to subsidize the market. Exactly, exactly. Don't get involved. Here we go. All right, we're back. Continuing now with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the weekly top three, where we get a chance to talk about three big issues. We just finished talking about uh, uh, Cook Inlet gas, and now we're looking at something we've covered pretty extensively over the last few weeks, and that are the actions of the Permanent Fund Corporation board. Uh, Because there seems to be some hankiness some some weirdness going on between the Permanent Fund Corporation Board and certain members of the legislature. Uh, we've talked about kind of the shell game uh, accounting and economics that they're putting in some of the reports and the moves that they're trying to do to uh, to change the way the Permanent Fund Corporation does stuff. And now, of course, they've been pushing to uh, try and consolidate the earnings reserve and the corpus of the fund. Uh, there's a there's some interesting things going on here, and now it looks like they might be getting ready for more. Brad, yeah, this is sort of part twenty of the of the permanent fund board story. Tim Bradner ha- has a, an opinion piece 
in the in the ADN uh, from last weekend, I think it was. Uh, the title is Permanent Fund Trustees Should Pump the Brakes on Risky Growth Plans. And he talks about an issue that I thought had sort of gotten settled in the October meeting when uh, when everybody, uh, uh, when, when the Permanent Fund Board assessed or, or discussed uh, uh, increasing the risk profile of the, of the Permanent Fund in order to spice up earnings in order to try to get to this $100 billion dollar uh, uh, size of the permanent fund board that at least Ellie Rubenstein wants to be able to take credit for. Um, but it, but it turns out, according to Tim's article, at least it turns out that there's one other piece of, of the permanent fund board's plan for growth, uh, that hasn't been resolved yet in the October meeting. Most of the focus was on, increasing the risk profile, increasing the risk of the projects the Permanent Fund Board was taking on um, in an effort to increase the return, you get higher returns and, and get to $100 billion uh, uh, faster. Take the returns from 6% to 9%, for example, by increasing the, the riskiness of the projects that, uh, that you're investing in. Now, of course, <laughs> that if you increase the risk, I mean, there are more risky projects. So you might get 9%, you might get zero if they bust. That's why you get 9% uh, if they hit because, because you're taking on increased risk. And the October board meeting, I, the articles around the October meeting board meeting indicated that the permanent fund backed off that sort of plan, that the advisory board suggested strongly against that uh, as, a, as a growth plan for a sovereign wealth fund. Um, and uh, and suggested that that was now was not the time, if ever there was a time. Now certainly wasn't the time to be engaged in that activity. There was a piece of of, how, of what the permanent fund board was looking at uh, that also spiked, that also could be used to spike uh, uh, returns, and that is borrowing a bunch of money at 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 loan rates that, you know, 5% loan rates or 6% loan rates or whatever they can borrow the money at, and then investing it and uh, getting higher returns, investing it as equity and getting higher returns off of, off of that investment, sort of an arbitrage between uh, uh, debt costs and, and equity returns. And I thought that had been killed off in the October meeting uh, also. But uh, according to Tim's article, it hasn't. Um, here's the paragraph. This isn't over, however. Part two is coming in the trustees' December meeting, and for many it sounds even more dangerous. It is to borrow from the fund to buy equities. Borrowing $4 billion is one figure mentioned. Think about this. Would you take a second mortgage on your home to play the stock market? And that's, that's essentially you know, trying to capsulize, uh, uh, encapsulate it. That's essentially what uh, what the permanent fund board would be doing. It's something that hedge funds do. I mean, hedge funds go out and borrow a lot of money to invest in the equities, or historically have done that, gone out and borrowed a lot of money and gone out to, and then invested it in equity plays or in buying companies or whatever to get higher, to, to enjoy those higher returns off the invested money. They pay back the borrowing and then they get the margin between the cost of the borrowing and the and the return they get. But even but even there's articles in the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere over the past few months that, that hedge funds are are pulling back from that as debt costs have gone higher. 
I mean, it's great if your debt cost is 2% and the equity return you, you think you're going to get is five, six, seven, eight, nine. I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty good deal. But if your debt cost, and keep in mind that, that the risk, riskless, risk-free rate of ret- or risk-free debt cost right now, the, the treasury market is above 4%, approaching 5%. It's, it's not as good if your debt cost is 5% and the re- equity returns you're looking at are six or seven or eight with a risk factor. I mean, right. if you take the risk factor into account. This is the sort of strategy back in, what was it, the 1980s that got all of the um, uh, pension plans, the, the state and city pension plans in trouble. It's what bankrupted Detroit. They went out to spike the, the pension returns so they didn't. So they didn't have to set so much money aside for pensions. They they decided to spike the returns on the money that they had, and to spike those returns, they went out and borrowed a lot of money and invested in very risky equities to try to to try to you know increase the, the returns and increase the size of their of their pension plans. Problem was the risks blew up, uh, the investments didn't turn out, and they had all these debt costs, all these all these uh, uh, debt payments due. Uh, and they went bankrupt. I mean, it was, it, 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 it was a, it was a very sad situation. And, and that's sort of the same sort of concern, I think, that Tim's expressing in his article and that I have uh, with these sorts of projects to go out and borrow a bunch of money to invest in, in projects. One other thing, the, the permanent fund board does this on a project basis. So, for example, we know the permanent fund board owns Tyson's Corner in Virginia, right? outside DC. And that project has borrowed money secured by the assets of Tyson's Corner uh, to pay for a portion of, of, of the purchase that the, the permanent fund hasn't taken, hasn't paid for all of Tyson's Corner by through equity. They've paid a portion of it in equity and a portion of it in debt. So they do this on a project basis where it is secured by the assets of the project that they're, that they're engaged in. Right. This, what they're talking about now, is, is just general debt, uh, not doing it on a project basis, but just going out and pledging the permanent fund corpus <laughs> as, uh, as, as the asset, as the basis for borrowing just a bunch of money and, and trying to invest it generally. Much, much different uh, 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 situation than when they do it on a project basis like Tyson's Corner. Well, this- anyway. Tim's raising the concern. I think it's a very valid. Well, concern. because I mean, it's it reeks of desperation. That's the thing, and we should not be making these kind of decisions in a desperation mode. That's what it keeps. You know, the more that they 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 make these things, and they're like, oh, we're they're betting on the if come. You know, it's like best case scenario, we'll get an eight percent return on nearly a five percent cost in the in the borrowing and everything else. We might get it, but what if it's one percent? Then you're just basically washing money. I mean, back and forth, and you're not really doing anything. I mean, I think Tim makes the comment about what is this? What is this desperation to hit one hundred million dollars? Um, you know, what what is the what's the impetus behind this? And I think we all know what the impetus behind this is. <laughs> it's Ellie's ego. Yeah. But it is, you know, it's um it's it's insane that we would like to take risks with, you know, what is essentially the main money well for the state in the future. I mean, that's just not something that you play around with, uh, you know, uh, you know, ad, ad, you know, ad hoc. You don't just go out there and say, well, we'll just borrow a bunch of money to do it, especially when it is the main corpus of the fund that you're talking about. Yeah, I think Tim, I, Tim has the same attitude that, that 
we that you and I have discussed on the show before, which is look, let's you know, steady and slow wins the race. Let's just keep building it uh, as we've built it carefully uh, in a in a very risk averse uh, uh, way. Um, step out and make investments where they where they make sense. But don't, you know, don't go for the home run. Don't swing for the fences. Don't swing for the grand slam. Be 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 satisfied with singles and doubles and the occasional, you know, the occasional home run when it comes, like like Juno Pharmaceuticals was for the permanent fund. But but be be satisfied with with singles and doubles. And um, and I think I think that's the right attitude with respect to our permanent fund. You yeah. know, if I were if I were running a hedge fund, I might, you know, and I, and I, you know, and I wanted to, you know, gin up returns, I might feel differently about it. But this isn't a hedge fund. This isn't uh, a Wall Street Journal, you know, greed is good fund. This is, this is sort of a, a, right. a baseline, base, base, uh, baseline uh, uh, fund for, right. for Alaska. So. This isn't mad money. This is bread and butter money. This is the money that pays the bills. This is not mad money that you go to Vegas with and blow because you saved it up. This is your. This is the money that's paying the mortgage kind of thing, to put yeah. it in more of a regular. And then I had to chuckle because even uh, because Bradner goes on to say uh, when they started talking about all these ideas, he says reporters jumped onto it, leading some trustees to grumble about the press digging into their business. Of of course, that's what the press is supposed to do. I mean, surprise. I mean, you're a public corporation that's supposed to be transparent. It's supposed, of course, they're supposed to dig into this. I mean, they 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 complain because what they want it to all happen in the dead of night because they're the experts and and we shouldn't have any input on it at all. I mean, but they aren't the experts. That, that's what we that's what we talked about on the show before. The the permanent fund board. I mean, I I still think the permanent fund board needs to be restructured to turn it into experts. But but they aren't experts. They're 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 people with egos and with gubernatorial ambitions that want to say, you know, they were there when the permanent fund board or when the permanent fund grew exponentially or whatever they want to say. They aren't experts. That they're 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 being driven by other factors. That's yeah. what we need. We need experts. And then and then maybe we wouldn't need as much press scrutiny. But right. But, the only thing I could see is some guy going to Vegas with his mortgage money. Just guaranteeing that he's gonna he's gonna hit it big and come back and win big, that's what he's doing. It's not the money that he saved up over the year to to splurge. It's his it's his kid's college fund or it's the mortgage money that he has in his pocket, and he just knows he's gonna get you know he's gonna get it. And uh, that's that's too much of a gamble for for my blood for sure. Uh, Brad, quickly number three. I know you want to go on, but number three, real quick. Well, I want to talk about campaign contributions uh, and limits on campaign contributions. There's a, a drive underway to get signatures to have a, 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 an initiative on the ballot next year. Uh, I think it's a good one, and I want to talk about uh, why I think it's uh, good and why we ought to be supporting it. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We got one more ahead. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. 
I, you know, <clears throat> again, that's just the image that plays into my mind every time is that they're walking out there with a wad full of cash that should be going to the kids' dentures or, you know, dentist pay bills or whatever. Just the day-to-day things that we need, that's what they're playing with. They're playing with the day-to-day money um, that the state needs to operate. Um, and if they if they flub this up and they go out there and they lose a bunch of money, every time they do that, that hits us harder. And uh, this this rush to get to this hundred million dollar mark is just it's insane. It's absolutely insane. Well, they're they're playing with your permanent fund dividend money, too. I mean, yeah. they're saying they're saying that they know better how to invest that than you do. And so here, let us let us take a risk with that money. Uh, if we lose it, ah, too bad. You know, we're all still rich. We all still. That's get, the thing. Uh, the yeah, they're, they're all still rich. Uh, Brian says it. Uh, Brian, Brian says it best. But but they know better, Brad. They're so much smarter than the rest of us kind of thing, you know. But as you pointed out, these aren't even the investor experts. These are just a, a, a governor's type board that are seeing into this. And they're coming up with all these great fairy tale ideas that are not. Ba- I mean, they got the woe back from people like uh, uh, George Zinn and stuff like that, who was one of the advisors. The the treasurer of Microsoft, who said, "Whoa, that's not a good idea," and they're still like, "Oh no!" But we know better than you, George Zinn, to to do that. I mean, that just it blows my mind. Yeah, it's um, well, it's just ego driven. I mean, it's Ellie wants to be part of the hundred billion dollar club. I mean, she said that much in said as much in in Saudi Arabia or wherever she made she made those remarks. And and Jason and and Adam want to be governor, and it's just I. It, 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 I mean, it's being the board is being driven by factors other than, hey, let's just get a good return for Alaskans. Let them enjoy part of it as permanent fund dividends. Let them enjoy part of it as as tax avoidance. Use the use a portion of it to, you know, to to substitute for taxes and 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 keep taxes low in Alaska. Let's let's just as opposed to as opposed to that, it's it's oh, let's go for broke. Let's let's see if we can't hit the big time and you know. Make me part of the hundred billion dollar club, and, and right. Make, you know, well, what happens? Do is a, a spur in their governor. What governor. happens if they kill the golden goose? I mean, that's <laughs> the that's the thing, right? I mean, the the danger is now four billion out of a seventy five billion dollar fund doesn't sound like much, but you know there are knock on effects and something like that that could be very detrimental in the long run. Yeah, I, it's. I mean, four billion becomes six billion becomes ten billion becomes. Uh, it's just. Um, you start down that road. I mean, that was the problem. That was the problem to me, the problem with the in-state investment program that, that they thought was a brilliant idea at one point in time. We're going to go to invest in in these in-state companies, in, in these Alaska companies and help and help grow Alaska. Well, it turns out the returns weren't as good as as uh, as we could have gotten elsewhere. So we had lost opportunity costs. We took money that we could have been investing uh, out there in the, in the broad market, uh, earning returns on it. And we invested in these companies that didn't produce as good a return. You just start sinking, you just start falling farther and farther and farther behind. Um, in the case of the, in the case of Detroit, I mean, they got so out of, so out of hand that, uh, that they bet the entire farm on it. Yes, you could, maybe you can say, okay, well, Alaska is better because we didn't bet the entire farm, but why, why do we want to, why do we want to lower right. risk, lowering, pushing ourselves behind, getting farther behind right. when, uh, when we can just stay the course not produce the world's greatest returns. You know, somebody's lucky enough to, to have a great return over here. We didn't get that. Oh my gosh. You know, we got to go chase it somewhere else because right. we got to, we got to be in that club. 
But in these just, situ- the course. yeah, in these situations, slow and steady wins the race. We know that. I mean, statistically, we know that. I mean, you know, anybody who's studied any of this stuff doesn't even have to be somebody who, who plays the the stocks or anything understands that in the long run, if you are conservative, your money will still double and double and double over the course of decades. It's not sexy, it's not splashy, but it gets the job done, and that's kind of yeah. where we've been. And and all of a sudden, somebody wants to, whoa. Somebody wants to to pull the plug and and uh, and go for broke, and that's that's not something that I would want to have hanging on my uh, hanging on my desk. No, and I and I thought, I mean, the, the the point of Tim's article, I thought we were sort of past this after the October meeting. I mean, James Brooks had an article that says, you know, the likelihood of of doing this is like zero now after the October meeting, but now. What Tim is suggesting is we got part two coming up. Oh, well, you don't like you don't like us changing chasing big returns. Well, how about if we just go debt financed uh, for, yeah. for some of for some of our returns? I okay. Well, let's knock that one down too. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. And again, the lamentation that all of a sudden that reporters are bullying into their <laughs> business, that just you know, finally, I guess is what I would say to that. Finally, somebody's actually digging into something uh, in this state from the journalism side of the world instead of just reporting what the press release says. I think that that's a good thing. Uh, I think we need more of that. Uh, let's let's take an example from that. And again, the powers that be behind this inside the Senate as well, pushing for some of this. You guys, that's just this. all I could say to that. All right. Uh, we're about to jump into this. Um Ten seconds out. Brad Keithley, our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell, do all the things. Let's go. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Whew, I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. All right, welcome back. We are talking with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable. We could stay on this topic, uh, number two. We could have stayed on that for three segments, I think, at this point. Uh, But we're going to move on. Now we're talking about campaign contributions. Now, the big thing about this, of course, is the court system uh, declared that the limits on uh, campaign contributions were unconstitutional at one point, which just kind of threw it back at the legislature, which has made them kind of limitless at this point. Um, and so the question is, what do we need? Is the legislature going to do anything? I mean, these are the guys that are benefiting from all these un, you know, un, uncapped uh, contributions. So it doesn't look like they're probably going to take this up. So there's a new uh, initiative going out. Brad, let's talk about it. So this article or this, 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 this segment was spurred by an article in the uh the Peninsula Clarion, the title League of Women Voters of Alaska, join us in calling for campaign finance limits. And you're exactly right. Several years ago, the Ninth Circuit uh, found that that Alaska's then existing campaign limits, uh, campaign finance limits, campaign contribution limits uh, were unconstitutional because they were too low, not because they existed, not because we had campaign contribution limits. You find those in, in the vast majority of the states, you find those nationally, not because we had campaign contribution limits, but because they were too low, because they hadn't that they, they hadn't kept up with inflation or they hadn't grown as 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 various other things 
had grown, and so they were unreasonably low. They were they were they were uh, limited uh, free speech. The Ninth Circuit found because they were unreasonably low. Senate or essentially Senate back to the legislature and said, "Look, you know, you can have campaign contribution limits. They just need to be more reasonable. They need to keep up with inflation. They need to they need to grow as other as other uh, uh, things grow." And the legislature went, "Us." You want us to limit campaign contributions? And so that that ball that got thrown back from the Ninth Circuit to the legislature just sort of, sort of went flying by um, and uh, and wasn't caught by the legislature, and the legislature hasn't acted on it. So the League of Women Voters and others are pushing an initiative uh, for the 2024 election cycle uh, to reenact uh, campaign contribution limits um, uh, and uh, are... Uh, have a petition out there for people to sign uh, and are and are pushing forward and are pushing forward on it to up to update, not to really change the old system that we had, but just to update the amounts uh, uh, of the campaign contribution limits to uh, to to what five hundred dollars would be if it had been uh, uh, escalated by uh, inflation over right. time. Um, and I think I think campaign contribution limits, I think those campaign contribution limits are a very good thing. Let me say quickly, you can find, you can go to the League of Women Butters, you can find links that that will take to, uh, uh, take you to the petition itself. It's not a, unlike ranked choice voting, it's not a 25-page uh, 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 petition or not a 25-page uh, set of statutes. It's three pages. It's just changing the existing statutes on the books. Uh, uh, to update to update the amounts largely, so it's not we're we're not we're not dealing with something like ranked choice voting where we're just going to overthrow the existing system. It is it's just an update uh, to what we had in place before, and I think it's I think it's a good thing. Sometimes political scientists talk about there being two primaries: the money primary and then the votes primary, and 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 you have to and candidates have to win both primaries. You have to win the money primary to get enough to, to run, to finance a good run, and then you have to get the votes uh, to, to, to get elected. And the Republican National Committee is using that with respect to with respect to the presidential candidates. Each of these debates is being narrowed by requiring that you have so many donors. One of the factors is so many donors in so many states that you're proving you have a base of support in terms in terms of money and i think i think that's a i think that's a good thing not only it, it democratizes if you will uh, uh, the campaigns even more you have to prove you have to go out and get small donors you have to prove you can you have enough people supporting you willing to put their money behind you to be able to uh, to be able to to run a race to be able to prove that you're electable to be able to prove that that you've got a broad base of support uh, as you go into uh, as you go into the election cycle, eliminating the campaign contribution limits changes that dynamic. You can find one or two people that can finance your entire campaign and uh, and and keep you going, uh, even if you can't get a broad base of support, and and can knock people out, other people out who can't raise the same amount of money. I, I think back to the 2018 race. Uh, that that Charlie Huggins was in, Senator, then state senator, Senate president, former state pre Senate president at the time, Charlie Huggins was in, and then Dunleavy was in. Dunleavy had his brother come in with a bunch of money. Charlie, you know, was trying to raise money. Charlie didn't have personal wealth or didn't have uh, uh, relations that had wealth. Uh, 
was trying to raise a broad-based amount of money, and and Dunleavy essentially just knocked him out by having by having a ton of money. Dunleavy never proved, really, frankly, that he had that broad base of support by by a, a ton of donors. He just you know had that had that money that uh, that that took Charlie out. So I think it's I think it's a good thing to have to demonstrate that you can raise money from a broad base of contributors, including a bunch of small contributors uh, to, to, you know, to finance your, your candidacy and to run. We don't have that in Alaska right now. Right now, without campaign contribution limits, big money can come in and, and push candidates, finance candidates, knock other candidates out who can't, who can't match, uh, match the dollars coming in from one or two people can't match the dollars coming in and can run a race and just, you know, take everybody out. We have enough problems with big money in this state. We have enough problems with uh, with uh, uh, the top 20 percent, the corporations and, and all that sort of thing. We need to get back to a, a, an election cycle, an election platform that has broad base, requires a broad base of financial support to really to really demonstrate uh, uh, your candidacy and to really finance your candidacy, candidacy going forward. So I think the campaign contribution limits are a very good thing. Uh, I think I've been through the uh, the proposed statute itself, uh, and I think it's fine. It doesn't have all those bells and whistles that that we saw from uh, ranked choice voting. Uh, and I think it's a, a good thing to get on board with and uh, and to support. The numbers seem to match out. I mean, the numbers, the new numbers uh, seem to be uh, equitable then and again would show the broad basis support. Yep. 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 The numbers are, I mean, it's just $500 updated. So for example, instead of, of uh, it used to be $500 per election cycle, 500 per year, excuse me, 500 per year. Uh, uh, the cap on individual contributions is now $2,000 per election cycle and election cycles are two years. So right. essentially a thousand dollars a year, uh, uh, is what, uh, is what they're updating it to. And they and, put an adjuster I, in, they put an adjuster in for inflation as well. Every 10 years, the, the APOC would adjust the, would look at the, look at the number and adjust it for inflation. That's to avoid getting back into the same problem. Right. The ninth circuit, <laughs> Which is uh, the problem now. we had before because there was no adjuster. So it was locked into, non-inflation it didn't didn't adjust for inflation over the years yeah the legislature could have adjusted it for inflation but didn't because once they opened it up nobody knew where it was going to go so the ninth circuit knocked it out and now the to avoid that problem of just becoming stale again they've got the adjustment mechanism and of course post ranked choice voting we've seen a lot of outside money start to come in because they realize alaska is a cheap date and so they want to if they want to excise change that's why we've seen school board i mean school board races have a hundred thousand dollars expended not just at the candidate level but at the independent expenditure level and everything else it's it's become madness and until we fix this it's it's I mean, I guess the dark money and the outside money for independent expenditures is probably still going to continue, but at least we wouldn't have, you know, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars dropping directly into a campaign's uh, pocket, uh, as far as that goes. Uh, less than a minute here, Brent. Right. The outside expenditure, the independent expenditures would continue because that's that's the Citizens United, uh, a U.S. Supreme Court determination. Uh, can't deal with that at the state level, but we can deal with the. With the with the limits on contributions that go to the candidates themselves. All right, Brad, uh, coming down to it, what are you looking at for next week? Anything you is on the horizon? Give me a quick hit here. 
Well, we're getting we're getting closer to uh, uh, December fifteenth, which is when the the governor's budget and the new revenue uh, 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 forecast uh, drops. <laughs> we're going into a period of low prices right at the time that that they use as a base for the revenue forecast. So I'm beginning to turn my attention to what I think the revenue forecast should look like, what the 10-year plan should look, the governor's 10-year plan should look like, uh, uh, and uh, use that as a base then when, when we see the actuals uh, it's, to evaluate what the actuals look like. It's too bad that we're going to be doing all Christmas and holiday stuff after the governor's budget comes out, but we'll I guess we'll survive. It'll be what it is. Brad, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Folks, we're out of time. We got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. <laughs> no, 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 says Brian. Ranked choice voting fixed all that. They said so. They they said that they were fixing all that dark money. It was it was, you know, wasn't gonna happen. It wasn't gonna go on. It wasn't gonna happen. Um, he also said, Brian's been on fire this morning. Brian also said, uh, what I, and I, my thing is so slow. Every time I click it, it's not showing the comment. Uh, he says, what I find interesting is the hue and cry from the uh, shift from pensions to 401k crowd that says, but the stock markets are so risky. But when it's public monies, the same people are all in. This is, again, talking about the permanent fund folks wanting to borrow the money. That's the that's the argument, right? We don't want the tier four because that's defined contributions, and that's just way too risky. We want guaranteed returns, except, of course, if we're using your money, in which case we can play it all we want. You know, we, we want to play it all we want. That's a great observation. That's a yeah. great observation. And now Donna says, I want I will want Brad's budget analysis. Are you guys going to make me try and have Brad on on that Tuesday <laughs> to analyze the budget? When well, is, I tell you what, it'll be in the landmine. It'll be in the landmine, huh? Well, I would love to. I would. You won't. I'd love to scoop Jeff Landfield on that just to see what it is. So, so what does it come? It comes out on a Friday. That's the official deadline, right? The fifteenth is a Friday. So, I mean, well, we won't even know because it'll be after the show. So it would have to be the following week. You guys are killing me. I'm trying to be happy here. I don't want to. I don't want to look at this. What are your What are you thinking, Brad? I mean, the, obviously, I mean the the prices for oil have cratered um, and come way down, and there's a lot of speculation. But what What do you think is going to come out of that? Just quickly here. Well, an honest look at the state situation would see huge gaps and growing gaps because of because of, of dropping oil prices and dropping revenue producing barrels. I know production's going up, but they're not revenue producing barrels. Dropping revenue uh, uh, producing barrels uh, toward the back end of the of the 10 year period. And, and and spending, you know, if you look at legislative finances projections, spending going up and up and up and up, uh, up like that. So huge gaps out there, huge gaps, even in FY, uh, what will we be de- dealing with FY 20, Five? 25, yeah. Yeah, 25. Uh, huge gaps even in FY25 and certainly uh, growing growing beyond that. That's what an honest assessment does. We look at that every Friday. We do a Friday chart that looks at, you know, where the, based upon current futures markets, what the budget's looking like. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Um, so that's what an honest assessment would be. Sort of the sort of the interesting part of looking at, at any given year's budget is how the governor's trying to cover that up. <laughs> Some years he says, "Oh, we're going to drop spending. You know, we're going to we're going to reduce spending to to sort of narrow the gap." Other years it's 
it's a uh, uh, POMB 5050 to increase some of the, uh, divert some of the PFDs over to, to, uh, to spending. Last year, it was the, 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 concert the climate change credits, whatever the heck the, the those, those credits were, that was going to grow to a billion dollars and, you know, in a very short amount of time. So some of it's humorous. What, what, you know, what fantasy is he going to come up with next year? Um, but, but underlying it, I'll be looking for, is there anything in there that makes sort of the base case of, of continually increased spending and continually reduced uh, traditional revenues? Is there anything in there that makes, makes my preconception about that wrong? Have I missed something? That's sort of the, that's sort of the first place, first thing I go to. And then I try to, then I start trying to understand what, what the, what the governor's come up with, but. Well, it's, <clears throat> I am so resistant to the idea of, uh, so resistant to the idea of wasting my last Tuesday of the broadcast year <laughs> going over this. I really am because let's face it, it'll be there. You will be the first broadcast of the new year. Uh, Tuesday will be the first broadcast day of the new year, and Brad can just hit it going on fire. You'll have had time to dissect it and digest it. I think I'm still going to take my stand as we're not going to do anything on that Tuesday the 19th. I'm, 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 I'm ready right now to stop talking about stuff because it's just it, it is somebody. Brian just asked me, "Do you feel like Sisyphus?" And yes, I feel like Sisyphus. For those of you who don't know who Sisyphus is, he was cursed by the Greek gods to roll a rock up to the top of the hill and have it roll back down over and over and over again. And that was his job was to roll the rock to the top of the hill. That's what I feel like. I mean, we've been doing this for 10 years, Brad, and it just, it does. It feels like a Sisyphean task sometimes to have to go over the same damn thing over and over and over again. I mean, I don't know if you feel that, but by the end of the year, I definitely feel that. So you're rationalizing declining Donna's request to, to talk yes, about Yes, as much as I love Donna, Donna, for my own mental health, I must decline. She says, how about a little budget analysis with a wine smoothie? Okay, I don't know. Do you want to do a special show? Do you want to do, you want to do a special show to talk about it? I mean, at, at some point, it's got to be, you know. Just, just, just take the twelve hundred or thirteen hundred words in the landmine in that Friday landmine column. Be satisfied with that, and then, as Michael says, we'll start digging into it after the first of the year, um, and uh, and 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 roll on with that. Because that special, I tell you, if there was a special edition of the show having to do with this, there would be lots of whiskey involved. Okay, I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> <laughs> lots of whiskey involved in that for sure that would be an entertaining show brad with his wine smoothies me with my whiskey by the end of it we'd have solved all the world's problems that's that's it for sure <laughs> or not cared about them <laughs> or anymore. just we One just don't two. give a crap anymore that's what it's all about all right brad well hey we got to flee here my friend thank you so much for coming on board as always great to talk with you thanks for coming on board and joining us Michael, as always, thanks for having me. We'll see you next week. All right, folks, we are out of time. I'm going to reset over the top of the hour because my stuff has gotten so slow. And we will return. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's get to it. Here we go.
buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com. And across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, it is The Michael Dukes Show. Good morning, my friends. Thank you for coming in and being part of it today. It is a beautiful Tuesday. It's warmed up. It's like 24 degrees, 25 degrees here at the old radio ranch, which is a a lot nicer than the nine degrees or whatever it was yesterday. So uh, we're we're loving it. We're uh, we're all okay with it, and it's uh, it's good to go. Uh, we're ready to jump into it. A little bit of a rehash. We just finished up with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. He came on board and uh, gave us the weekly top three, and we are. Um, I mean, we're 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 good to go. We're ready to we're ready to. Uh, Uh, talk a little bit about some of those things. But before we get there, we've got to talk about the holiday recipe contest. Now, this happens every year, uh, well, that we've done the contest, is that in the very beginning, we get a handful, a bunch of recipes, and then it just kind of drops off because nobody, I mean, I don't know why you guys are so stingy with your recipes, but come on, man. Everybody needs to share your joy. That's the, that's the, that's the, the the thing here. The thing is, is that the more you share, the more your bowl will be full, right? Um, sorry to quote The Expanse. I've been watching The Expanse again, just in case you hadn't uh, uh, figured that out. Um, but this is the this is the time to do it. You've got a recipe that that your grandma or your mom or your dad or your your grandparent somebody always cooked for the holidays. And now is your time to share it. Now is your time to make to bring other people joy with this uh, with this uh, beautiful beautiful recipe. And all you got to do is post your fa- uh, favorite recipe in the comments of this post for the holiday recipe contest, which is the it's the pinned post at the top of my Facebook page at facebook.com/slash Michael Duke Show, and uh, and then encourage your folks to. Encourage your folks, your friends, to go out and vote for your recipe. The benefit is, of course, is that you're sharing the joy, your joy of the holiday, your personal take on the holiday season and the the good food that you always look forward to. And the second part is that everybody else gets to benefit. And you, you know, go through and look at some of these. I posted another recipe yesterday that I came across because it seems like bourbon is one of the winning ingredients in a lot of cooking because it imparts that really nice flavor even even if you don't drink you know it's like a bourbon and brown sugar ham you don't have to be a drinker to be able to enjoy bourbon and brown sugar ham because it imparts that really nice flavor 
after everything's burned off. Um, but there, you know, last year it was uh, Sarah Vance's won it with a Kentucky, it was a bourbon blue ribbon Kentucky pie, some kind of pecan pie that was. Oh. And then Bill still seems to be in the lead today. Bill uh, posted his bourbon caramel corn recipe. And so yesterday I stumbled across a recipe that was bourbon bacon brittle. So it's like candied brittle with bacon bits and I mean, it sounds delicious. I posted it up there just so that you could have it. But there's more. There's more. Um, oh, oh, Heather posted a pumpkin custard, which sounds delicious. I love me custard and I love me some pumpkin. This sounds like a del- – and it's low carb. So there you go. You can go check that out. But all you got to do is go post your favorite recipe up on the uh, contest and then get your friends to vote on it. That's what Bill did. He, he crowdsourced it very smart. And uh, if you end up with the most reactions, thumbs up, votes, et cetera, then you can uh, the then you could win a delicious bag of beard curler coffee, my own personal blend, and a six o'clock club coffee mug, which is you just missed being a member of the six o'clock club if you're just listening now and weren't listening in the last hour. But that's kind of our unofficial fan club is the 6 o'clock club. We're going to be taking recipes and votes until the 19th. And then on the 20th, Wednesday the 20th, that will be our final day of broadcast for the year. We will announce the winner. And you don't want to let Bill win, do you, with a popcorn recipe? I mean, it sounds delicious. Don't get me wrong. But it just, I mean, I was thinking something a little more traditional would be a winner on this. Anyway, uh, go over to facebook.com slash Michael Duke show and vote for your favorite recipe and, uh, and post your own recipe and vote. You can vote for as many recipes as you like. I've liked a lot of them because they all sound delicious and I want some, but, uh, anyway, go, go check it out. Uh, again, facebook.com slash Michael Duke show. And, uh, I'd like to see some new recipes. We've only got uh, 14 days, 14 days to get all this done. And, uh, it's officially two weeks from now. So, uh, go check it out. Um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, what else? Um, what else? I don't drink coffee. I do drink hot chocolate or tea. You don't have to have the coffee if you don't want the coffee, Amy. You could just drink it out of your delicious mug. You just, that's just, that's fine. Uh, Nobody's complaining about that. Um, All right. We have got um, Chris story coming up in the, yes, you can post your favorite cookie recipe. Yes. Any recipe, any food of any kind, appetizer, dessert, aperitif. I mean, you know, if you want to get fancy, entree, whatever. Yes, I speak French. Entree. Uh, whatever. You, you could post it all up there. If you want the Kraft macaroni and cheese recipe, yes, you could put it up there. I mean, I don't know if it's going to get any votes, but, uh, you know. Um, <clears throat> anyway, Chris Story is coming up at the end of the show today to um, uh, to give us a, a positivity boost. We bring Chris on every week because... 
because uh, it's for me more than it is for you. I need the reminder of uh, staying on track, staying on target. Um, you know, if you are if you are a reader of positive mental attitude uh, books or, you know, somebody who has been an adherent to that kind of lifestyle over the years, you realize that, you know, you've got to check in with other people. Uh, you've got to check in with a mentor or with a with a, a coach every now and then. And so every Tuesday is kind of officially my check in with my life coach, Chris Story who does it for free. That was the big thing is that I got a life coach for free. Uh, but, so this is, <laughs> it's not really it, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, and Chris comes in mostly for me and hopefully for you too, to give you some good life advice. I don't know what we're going to be talking about today. He hasn't told me yet what we're going to be talking about. He's probably listening right now. And I imagine I'll get a text telling me exactly, uh, what's happening, but, um, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. It'll, uh, it'll be, it'll be great. Um, all right. So we just finished up with Brad Keithley and, um, I just got to say that everything that Brad just went over, but especially specifically the permanent fund corporation thing is, I was going to sneeze, uh, is a, <laughs> It is like just the perfect prime example. It is the postcard picture perfect example of we know better than you. It is the politician's disease. Again, you have a board that is not a board of investment professionals um, that is taking advice from people, people like Ellie Rubenstein who has got a, a stated and specific agenda. As Brad said, you can go – I went – Brad sent me the link and I watched this forum in Saudi Arabia where she was talking about it, girl power and I'm going to hit the $100, million, $100 billion club mark kind of thing. And you could see it's somebody who has a personal agenda and wants to leverage our money to do it. Um, you know, the fund has been around since 1976 and it is slowly but surely, you know, step by step, brick by brick, built, built up to what it is today. It's a it's a great, you know, uh, asset to the state of Alaska. Um, it allows for, you know, it, it, a tax alternative. We don't have to be taxed to live here. They're paying for it. It pays a portion. It pays uh, the permanent fund, which I think are all good things. Even as much as we, I can complain about how they're doing it and the fact that they're, you know, they're jenking us on some of the permanent fund. At least at this point, we're not paying direct taxes for it. So it's been good and it's been there for the state. But that's been through the slow and sure method of, uh, of investment, this slow but steady, the reasonable low risk or risk adverse kind of investing that's gone on over the last 35, 40, 45 years. And yet here we have a group of people who have all of a sudden decided first and foremost that they were going to take high risk, um, high risk uh, endeavors. Um, and that came apart and they they were shot down by that and, and the public outcry and the pressure. I mean, even people like Frank Burkowski were like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, and so now and we thought that was dead. And now they've come back with a second plan where they're going to borrow money to then play. I mean, again, I think Tim Bradner laid it out perfectly when he was like, wait a second. That's like 
taking a second mortgage on your home to play the stock market. And I would say it's even worse than that. It's more like taking a second mortgage on your home to go play the ponies, right? You just don't know what's going to happen. Sure, you could win big on that 100 to 1 shot. You know, but that the chances are you could also get burned and you do not play around with your base capital. You do not play around with the corpus of your seed money, your seed corn. You just don't go. It's like making popcorn out of seed corn. Why would you do that? It's the one thing that keeps giving you returns year after year. Why would you take that chance? But these folks, they are guaranteed. They want to do it. Borrowing four billion dollars and going out and playing the playing the stock market, especially with the variable rates and the high interest rates we have right now going upwards towards five percent, and all of a sudden your returns may only be six or seven percent. Why would you do that? Well, it's hubris and ego is what it is. Um, I mean, if you were messing around with your own retirement portfolio, would you? jeopardize the nest egg of your portfolio on some kind of uh, short-term gain if you, you know, at a you know, with a chance of losing it all, would you do that? No. Again, what's the rush to get to 100 million to 100 billion dollars? Well, the rush is twofold. One, again, he points out Ellie Rubenstein wants to be in that club. Two, Legislators, especially those who were in power in the good old boys club who are in the Senate uh, finance and leadership, they really want it to be $100 billion so that they can know that they're going to get their lucre every year. And they don't have to worry about it. They don't have to fight over it. They just know that they're going to, which again, has its own dangers, including that disconnect from the, you know, the public and the private economies. That economic disconnect, that has its own problems in, in and of itself. But you could see all the powers that are pulling in that direction right now all going in the same, in the same way. And it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's the road paved to hell as far as I'm concerned. They, you know, it's all good intentions. But when it's get, and the worst part is, is that who's going to be holding the bag if it all goes bad? That would be you and me. I mean, you know, we'll be seeing taxes sooner than anybody anticipated if that's the case. If they flub it up and they do something like this and it goes pear-shaped, who's going to have to pick up the pieces? Alaskans, where we'll have to have a tax. I mean, I think we're going to have a tax anyway, but it'll be faster than, uh, than anybody predicted because all of a sudden they've damaged the fund. Why would you stop the slow and steady race to bet on this, to chase that? You know, if it's too good to be true, it's probably not, right? I just look at that and I just, again, all I could picture is the guy taking out a mortgage on his house or taking the rent money and going to Vegas, just absolutely convinced that he's going to strike it rich and come back. How many times have we seen that as a trope in a movie or a story or something else where they take the they take the rent money or the kids college fund or the, you know, whatever, and they go down there and they just know it's a sure thing. How many times have we seen that? Too many times. To count, that's the bottom line. All right. um, You know what? I got some good news in the next segment. I might start off with some bad news, but then I'll talk about good news because, you know, good news. 
All right, we're going to be back. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. He doesn't think a caramel corn recipe should win? I'm not saying that. You could win, Bill, and I would be happy for you, my friend. I just expected there to be more recipes. I guess every year I'm expecting there to be more recipes. Every year we've done this and it's always been, you know, just a a dozen, maybe dozen and a half. I mean, with all the listeners and the people who, I mean, they've got 40 people in the chat rooms right now. If every one of them put up a recipe, we'd have 40 recipes in there. I just expected, I expected more people to engage, but it, you know, doesn't happen. You know, maybe I should do a, maybe I should up the Maybe I should up the uh, the ante. I happen to have a uh, I happen to have a certificate to point blank firearms. I have a certificate that's good for a uh, uh, I think it's a concealed carry class or a basic pistol class. Maybe I should up the ante on the prize. Maybe that's what I should do. Maybe we should do one and two. You get one prize or you get the other prize. I don't know. We'll see what's going on. Um, <laughs> Jim says, the new format for the radio auction leaves a lot to be desired. Need to go back to the phone lines. Why, Jim? Why does it leave a lot to be desired? Um, I mean, just get on your computer and buy that stuff up. It's actually gone so much smoother since we went to the full online component. So much smoother. So fewer problems. I mean, so, so it's so much better. And I don't have to travel to Fairbanks to do the auction. I can do it from right here, which is awesome for me. But uh, there you go. Amy says, I don't drink coffee. Brian says, Amy, engage in the ultimate act of Christian charity. Win the coffee and donate it to a needy person who's wandering through life drinking Folgers. Um, all right. Um, okay. Uh, we've been wanting to try beard curler for over two years. Maybe this is the year. Oh man. Um, he wasn't chastising. Bill wasn't chastising me. I know. I was just, I was just giving it right back, buddy. Just giving it right back. Um, um, I was so excited for this recipe challenge and I've forgotten, but I'm going to do it right away, says Jennifer. Well, good. I mean, I only remind everybody every day, every day. Um, the phone lines were terrible, said Melissa. She should know she was on the phone lines half the time. Jennifer said, I hated the phone lines. Uh, I spent a few minutes compared to half a day on the phone. Yeah. Yep. 
That's exactly it. I was trying to check out stuff was being removed from my cart. You got a 30-minute time limit on the cart. I know that. So it's, it is what it is. Um, sure, I'll donate the coffee, says Amy, if she wins. If you win. Oh, man. Are you guys, are you, are you ready? I'm, I told my wife yesterday, in fact, I told a coworker too, I said, I am just ready for vacation already. It's never good when you're two weeks away from vacation and you are ready for vacation right now. It makes every day just, just drag along. Maybe that's what Chris should help me out with. Maybe Chris should help me out with a way to not feel like I need to be in vacation mode right this minute. Maybe that's what he should help me out with. I'm ready. It's been a hell of a year, and I am ready for 10 days of absolute bliss. Walking walking around in my fleecy pants and just doing nothing. It's exactly, I have short timers. You are 100% right. Um, all right. Um, we're going to continue here. We're 12 seconds out. Uh, Jack, I'll, Jack, uh, Jim, I will uh, mention that to the, uh, to the tech guy and see if there's a problem there, but nobody else has complained about that as of yet. So we'll figure that out. All right, here we go. Um, Christmas music constantly in the house. Yep. I'm, I'm there in my office with the log fireplace. Here we go. Okay. Oh yeah, I just admitted. I just admitted the quiet part out loud. Just told. I'm two weeks away from uh, my end of the year vacation, which I take every year. Um, I always take off from Christmas to New Year's, usually a few days before Christmas. And um, I just admitted to the listeners during the break, and I'll admit it to you now because I'm man enough to admit it. I'm ready for the vacation now. I'm two weeks away from the vacation. This is not the time to, hopefully nobody at the radio station is listening. Uh, I'm just, I'm ready. It's been a hell of a year and I am just ready for it. Denise says the same thing. She says, yes, vacation. I'm already making everyone crazy. Constant Christmas music in this house. And that's what every day I'm sitting at my desk if I'm working and I got a big TV screen in my office that, so I'm playing the Netflix crackling fireplace with christmas music i'm ready i mean i have been ready already <laughs> somebody walked into my office last year and they're like what are you doing i'm like i'm working and they're like it feels like it's christmas eve in here we've got the big roaring fireplace and you got christmas music and lights and yeah so what just leave me alone let me have my christmas joy man let me have my christmas joy <laughs> that's what i feel right now i'm just i'm i'm i am ready i'm you know so uh, anyway, uh, on that on that note, um, do I want to do this story because this is irritating? 
I'll do the story, then I'll do some happy stuff, okay? But I'm, again, working on um, – I've got coming up um, a guest I'm bringing on talking about – we talked about the cruises, right? We're going to talk about how – why cruises are such a great vacation. And I got another one talking about how to beat cabin fever, how to beat the winter blues. And I'm working on a couple of – oh, Dr. John Lott is coming on on Friday. He's confirmed he's going to be here on Friday. And we'll have Chris Chang. And we'll have Willie Waffle. Ooh, it's going to be a big show on Friday. Um, and I believe uh, we got Mike Shower tomorrow. Uh, so I'm just looking to fill that one slot in the morning. So I think we're pretty. I think we're pretty dogged out for the rest of the week. But I'm trying to just be more positive. So it's hard when I read something like this. The lawfare continues. What's lawfare? Well, it's frivolous lawsuits and, uh, you know, court proceedings and complaints and violations that where people are weaponizing the system against people that they don't like. And in this case, Alaskans for Better Elections, Scooter Kendall, Scott Scooter Kendall, um, has filed a now a third complaint against the anti-rank choice voting crowd. Uh, Art Mathias, uh, Phil Izon, you know, the whole crew over there. Alaskans for Honest Elections is the name of the group. They'd already, fi- they'd already filed two complaints with APOC, the Alaska Public Offices Commission. Uh, one ended up getting them a fine of about $2,000. And the other one, I think they haven't, uh, I believe that they haven't made the decision on. Uh, and that's where... Uh, Art Matthias and they they had a church that was involved and there's some anyway there's there's things going on and as as much as I'm appreciative of Art Matthias and Phil Izon on these things for running this you know I've signed the petition you know got the petitions out there where they're collecting all the signatures doing all that when you're doing this especially against somebody like Scooter Kendall this guy I mean I just wish they had divided themselves, divorced themselves more from their private persona, private lives, the churches and things like that, because it just muddies the water and it gives them stuff to to complain about. Well, this is a new complaint um, by Scott Kendall and Alaskans for Better Elections. It alleges that opponents of the ranked choice voting are part of, quote, an intentional conspiracy to violate the law, unquote, by not disclosing their funding and expenses, including involvement of an Anchorage Christian organization called Wellspring Ministries. Now, again, this also ties back to one of their previous complaints where they talked about there was a religious organization um, that was called... I'm trying to remember what it was called now. Uh, anyway, out of Washington State, where they had, uh, where they had, uh, you know, apparently there'd been some work done by the church, or it was an, or- it was just, it got real gray. There were some gray areas in there, and I, the APOC hasn't come back about that yet, um, but it's it's continuing. So anyway, this complains that some of the people that they've hired to to gather signatures, and they have paid signature gatherers for this, uh, were using one of the Wellspring Ministry properties as a base of operations, although it wasn't being reported properly. They said that they've paid her and that she's paid the church to stay there or use it as a base or, you know, I don't. Look, at this point, 
I can just all I know is that these two are, you know, that 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 Scott Kendall is going to utilize the legal system to its fullest effect as best he can to try and stop people from being able to overturn ranked choice voting. And this is strategic because we are this is the last two months. This is the last two months to gather signatures. And what they're actually asking for from APOC is they're asking for APOC to suspend the ability for them to collect signatures until this is rectified. Now, there's only two months left. There's only two months left of this. And they're saying that the ranked choice voting ballot group has been using Wellsprings Ministries to collect and tally signatures, even though they said the, the you know, Art and Phil said that their church was not involved in their effort. Um, and so they are now asking that they stop, be, they be forced to stop collecting signatures, which is, I mean, this is a pivotal time right now, a pivotal time for this to happen. So. I don't know why you're I don't know why we would be surprised that this is going on. This is going to happen every time. When you've got an attorney like Scott Kendall involved in this stuff, I guarantee you he's going to be filing everything that he can file. It's going to be every frivolous. We're only up to 3. I'm surprised we're not up to 6 or 7 at this point. They're looking for every little thing they can do. And that's why it's on the shoulders of people like Art and Phil, Art Matthias and Phil Eisen too to really make sure that they are pristine in everything that they do, that they stand alone, that they separate themselves out from any opportunity. doesn't mean that they're still not going to get things filed on them, but they've got to have the absolute appearance of pristine, you know, propriety. And unfortunately, it just doesn't seem to be happening right now. Um, and so I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see where this one goes, but uh, it couldn't have come at a, you know, just it couldn't come at a more pivotal time. Uh, it's the request comes just two months before the ballot initiative group must submit to the state at least 26,000 signatures from Alaska voters to put the question of repealing ranked choice voting and open primaries on the 2024 um, ballot uh, uh, on the ballot itself. And they want to force the initiative leaders, the ballot initiative leaders, to pause their signature gathering effort. That's the point. The whole point here is not whether they win or lose. The point is, can they get APOC to get them to stop collecting sig? Although I don't know how you'd enforce that. If well, I guess you couldn't do public. You couldn't stand out in front of Fred Myers and collect signatures. Uh, I don't know why private citizens couldn't continue to go out and do it. But again, it's anything that they can do. To get the job done. It's frustrating. All right. Good news, my friends. Let's let's just go to the good news. Shall we? Shall we shall we do that? Couple quick stories here. Um, this is from the Good News Network. I I go there every couple days just to try and get a piece of good news. I know we don't live on good news these days, but sometimes we need it. A study of the big five personality traits has found that positive extroverted and conscientious people are less likely to get a dementia diagnosis than those with neurotic or negative personality traits. Scientists from Northwest University and the University of California at Davis said that the difference wasn't due to pathological changes, but rather how traits allow some people to better navigate dementia-related impairments. 
Although there have been studies trying to link personality to dementia, these have been small and only in specific populations. uh, Leveraging as much as this existing literature as possible, the team analyzed data from eight published studies involving more than 44,000 people, of whom about 1,700 developed dementia. They looked at the big five personality traits of conscientiousness, extroversion, openness, neuroticism, and agreeableness, among with subjective well-being, positive and negative effect, and life satisfaction. Then they compared these traits to clinical symptoms of dementia, such as performance on cognitive tests and brain pathologies at autopsy. They said they wanted to leverage new technologies to synthesize the studies and test the strength and consistency of the association. Um, This is important science, um, as the sciences in general from medicine to history are in well-documented reproductibility crisis where 50 to 90 percent of all scientific studies are non-reproducible. So that's what they're trying to think. Anyway, so they go on to say that the team found that high scores on negative traits and low scores on positive traits were associated with higher risk of dementia diagnosis. Higher scores on openness to experience, agreeableness, and life satisfaction had a protective effect in a smaller subset of studies. Now, there's no link found between these personality traits and actual neuropathology in the brain of people after death, but apparently they were able to handle these things a little better. So be positive. And maybe you've got a better chance of avoiding the dementia if you are being positive. I've got another story about FedEx delivering 300,000 Christmas trees to military families, but I'm out of time. So I'll talk about that one during the break, and we will be studying and discussing with Chris Story, who's up next right here. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return with more. And Chris Story, right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Oh, okay. Okay. Um... Okay, Uh, let me go through here. Uh, Chris needs to talk about dealing with bad customer service and how not to let it steal our joy. Um, (laughs) I mean, I'm sure, I mean, you know, remember, Denise, the only one that can control, the only one that's in charge of that situation is you. You're the only one that's in charge of how you react to that. I know that's not something you want to hear, but I mean, truthfully, that's we are the only ones that are responsible for that, right? Only we can prevent forest fires and rea- bad reactions to things. That's kind of how it comes out here. Um, come on. Are you there? Can you hear me? All right. I'm going to call you back because apparently my roadcaster hates me today. 
So let's try this again. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not do that. Let's go over here. All right. There we go. All right, how now, Brown Okay, cow. Brown Cow, now, now. Um, it's all good. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. Denise says that you need to talk about dealing with bad customer service and how not to let it steal your joy. Apparently, she was accosted by a, an employee somewhere that said, uh, oh. w- w- was, came up to her and said, what's the problem rather than how may I help you? <laughs> Uh, what's the problem? What's the problem? That's better than what's. That's better than what's your problem. I was just going to say, yeah, definitely better than what's your problem. But I mean, you know, again, it's the only thing we have absolute hundred percent control of is our reaction to things, right? So it's it, it is it is what True it that. is. It's all good. True so that. what's and, and and where you can always vote with your dollars relative. That's to true. Service. That is a hundred percent true. You can take that and. You know, I mean, I don't know if I want to be the Karen that walks up to the manager and says, you know, I think you might want to have a chat with your employee. Although I probably would do it in a very nice way. I would say, you know, maybe he's having a bad day, but maybe you want to tell him not to tell people what's your problem. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I don't feel like that's too much of a Karen moment, especially if you're polite about it and you're just saying, I'm just mentioning this on the way by. But uh, anyway, um, what are we what are we what are we chatting about today? What's the what be the haps, my friend? I'm going to let you inside the covers of a very expensive book that you may or may not have, but I'm going to be talking about the foundations of greatness. The foundations of greatness. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Small G, small G. Yeah. Of great. Okay. Small G. Okay. Cause I thought it, maybe it was like greatness, you know, kind of thing. Nope. 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 Tone no. it down. Yeah. It'd be greatness. You know, I mean, something like that. Wow. So, yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. That's how you should introduce it. Exactly. Like that. Exactly. It'll be, you know, this is Chris Storm. Uh, something like that. Um, all right. Uh, enough playing with the toys. Uh, okay. So uh, we're going to get a look, peek behind the curtain at greatness through the covers of the most expensive book in the world. Um, all right. How how you been doing? Uh, uh, and what are we, you know, oh, by the way, I'm going to give you the pot. I want you to come on for two segments on Tuesday the 19th. So put that in your Perfect. calendar okay. if you're available. Done. Um, put it in the pipe. We'll smoke it. Put it in the pipe and smoke it. And we're just going to chat about, I mean, you can obviously do the positivity segment. That's great. I mean, I, that that nothing changes there. But I want to just do a holiday memories, traditions. I just want to talk to you about your childhood. Okay. So tell nice. me about, tell me about your childhood and your mother. How was your relationship with your mother? <laughs> Um, well, that's great. <laughs> he just can't wait for that. So it'll be good. Um, all right. Uh, let me go back. I'll put Chris on hold for a second here. Uh, and let me go back to see what you guys are having to say. Uh, it's all junk scientists. They're trying to manipulate us, says Jeannie. Just be happy and take care of yourself. Smile all day longs. Um, I, I don't know is how you took that out of that, Jeannie. It was just saying that people who are happy and are satisfied have less of – the dementia has less of an impact on them. I don't know if that's – 
I, I mean, I, I would rather be that way. And even if it was junk scientist, uh, uh, junk science at that point, uh, although I do agree with you, stop eating sugar. Um, I don't know about magnesium theranate, but I mean, my wife, my wife has been taking a magnesium lately. It was a new one that she got. I don't know if it's theranate or not, but she said it's made a tremendous difference in her restless leg and her sleeping habits and everything else. So, you know, so you are what you eat. You are what you eat. Excuse me, I have a donut over here that I have to go take care of. Chris Story is our guest. We're about to jump back into it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Let's uh, let's do this thing. Here we go. Okay, welcome back. Chris Story, the man from Homer. He comes on every week to talk with us about positivity, pottery, and property. All the P's, and I guess is what it's all about. Uh, anyway, he joins us. Uh, he joins us every week to discuss the good stuff. And uh, let's jump into it with him right now. Hello, my friend. Hello. How are you doing? What's going on in your world? Everything good. Everything's going right. The sun has already risen here on top of the world. Not outside, but in my mind. In oh, your that's, mind. That's yeah. disgusting. Even I'm disgusted by that. That is. That was pretty cheesy. I'm just going to say that was pretty was cheesy. You know, when you're cool, the sun shines on you 20. You should wear sunglasses all the time because then the sun shines mm-hmm. on you 24 hours a day. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit. You're going to give us a peek behind the curtain at greatness. Um, it, you said you got a book that maybe people have, maybe they don't, but between the covers is one of the secrets to the, to the idea of small G greatness. So walk us through, walk us through. Well, a guy called David Cook, Dr. David Cook, he wrote a book called greatness with a small G and it really intrigued me. The cover is completely white. It was only available through his website. The cover is just stark white with this little tiny print. I mean, like where you have to really hold it up to your face to read it. And it's greatness is the title of the book with a small G. His name's not on the cover. It's it is stark, like starkly different from any other book you've ever seen. And it really caught my eye. And I started watching some a video of him explaining the book and why he wrote it and why it cost one hundred and twenty five dollars for this very small, thin little book. And it comes with an easel and you set it up and it's like a piece of art. It is like having this magnificent Rembrandt in your presence. And yet you have to really crack the spine to to really get anything out of it. And so I thought, well, I'm going to share just the foundation of greatness from Dr. David Cook. And this is just in the opening chapter. He lays out sort of the roadmap to greatness. And the reason he uses a small G for greatness is that it's a way of life, not a destination. It's about a journey through life. And so it's going to be a small G versus it being where you get to and that you are great. It's about what can you contribute? What do you contribute? And how do you affect other people in your life and along the journey, which is really the reward in and of itself. You saw Charlie Munger passed away. He rest in peace, 99 years old, billionaire, 
uh, kept his mind and body all through life, apparently. And, and what an incredible thing. But yet, you know, all the money in the world couldn't extend his life to 110 or 120. So it really is about this, this journey and what is greatness. So Dr. David Cook lays out these three questions and I thought this would be an interesting thing to share with you today. These questions that will help define for you your small g greatness and maybe that journey. And the first question is, where do you wanna go? And he defines that as like, okay, are you focused? Where do you want to go? And are you focused on it? Because Maybe you've not thought about it in a long time. Maybe you're thinking, I really want to go on this other adventure. I want to do something different, but yet you're, you've got the golden handcuffs or something's holding you here where you are for a period of time. But do you even know where you want to go? So what is your focus? That's the first step towards small G greatness, according to Dr. Cook. I, I mean, that's a good question. We talk about that quite frequently. Do we, you know, do you know your path? Do you have an idea or are you just moving along with a crowd? Um, I think a lot of dissatisfaction starts with the fact that many people don't have a, I mean, chief definite aim, a goal. They don't have, they just are kind of going along in life. Maybe they have a vague aim of, I want to retire one day, or I want to do this or that, but they don't have a chief definite aim. And so it kind of makes things, I mean, I hate to say meaningless, but you're not, if you're not working towards something, you're just kind of fumbling along in the dark. So I think that's a good step. I mean, you and I have talked about that as a first step to many things in our lives. Yes, exactly. And and is Zig Ziglar, one of you and I are both fans of Zig Ziglar and his work. And he would say, are you a meaningful, specific or a wandering generality? And I think about this, too, is like, where do you want to go is and what do you want to focus on is or can be construed as what do you want to accomplish? And we talk about goals often. And it's like, oh, what do you want? How much money do you want? How much travel do you want? What kind of home do you want? What kind of relationship? And if you if you turn that and pivot it just a little bit and look at this through the lens of who, who do you want to help along the way? Who do you want to impact? Who do you want to have an effect on in your life while you're here? That focus can be who related versus just what. What is fine, but the more you focus on who, the more what you'll get whether that's your aim or not, you can't help it. The more people you serve, the more people you can help and assist in life, the more you'll get. It's just the, the nature of it. So the second question is, how bad do you want to get there? So if you pick this destination, even if it's who related over what, how bad do you want to get there? And he describes that as passion. Do you have passion for what it is you say you want to do? And that's what's going to drive you. That's what's going to propel you forward. And if your goal, like mine, my goal through the Backyard Millionaire Program is to help a thousand people a year become backyard millionaires. Now, when I'm on my path doing that and, and uh, trying to accomplish this, I can't help but get more in the, the courses, training, book sales, uh, real estate. I can't help but get more as a result of it. But that's not the goal. The goal ultimately is aiming towards who can I help this year on that path towards a thousand a year? And I have a deep passion for that. Over the years, I've, I've seen so many people's lives change through the result of the wealth finding accumulation in the passive income that comes through this ownership that I, I'm driven to it every day. And it, it, so the passion exists and it drives my what and who, which is my focus. Okay. So passion, how badly do you want to get there? So first, 
What do you want? Second of all, how bad do you want it? What's the third one? Yeah, exactly. So the third is, do you have the mental skills? This, again, these are questions from Dr. David Cook. He's a psychologist. Do you have the mental skills needed to handle the adversity that is along this journey? It's coming. There will be adversity. Do you have what he calls mental toughness? And that's the ability to persevere. That's what you and I, Michael, talk about frequently, which is positive mental attitude. Remember, W. Clement Stone and Napoleon Hill got into a pretty big debate as they were starting to write some of their books together in the 60s about which is more important, a definite chief aim or a positive mental attitude. Ultimately, W. Clement Stone won out and because he was paying for the project, and it became the positive mental attitude, PMA, that matters because that will allow you to persevere through adversity, which we know is coming. And through every adversity comes with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. And if that's true, and it is, can you handle it? Can you handle the right. tough times and are you mentally prepared for it? And if you have a strong enough belief in where you want to go and you're focused on it and you have a passion for it, you're going to get there and you're going to persevere even in tough times. You know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine here recently who um, has not, I mean, not aspirations, but really likes writing. And I've read some of their works, and they're good. I mean, they're a good writer, you know, you it, it, right out of the gate. Um, but the one thing that they struggle with, and, and we were having this conversation about they wanted to take up writing again and maybe do some stories and stuff, is is that mental toughness aspect. They say, I just don't think I can handle the reject. I just know that my feelings will be hurt. I know that I will be, you know, that is the fear, and it is that mental toughness. That might be... Of the three, that might be the hardest uh, of the three things to overcome. You might be passionate about it. You might enjoy it. It might be something that you want to attain as a goal. But mental toughness, you it ha- it, it has to be there. Um, you know, it has to be there. You have to be able to take the slings and arrows. And it might be one of the hardest things of the three for folks to really dive into. You, you've got to. Yes, I agree 100%. And I understand and relate to that. Let me give you an example. I just did. Uh, two days at a craft fair selling books, selling my my four books, The Born to Live, Backyard Millionaire, Make It a Man and The Watchman, and was rejected countless times. I sold far more than I ever anticipated, but I'm not for everybody. These books aren't for everybody. But what was interesting is that I was able to take that. Well, I can give you an example. One woman walked by and we're chatting and she says, oh, I really like mysteries. And I said, oh, well, then you might enjoy these two. And she's thought about it. And she said, I don't know. And I said, tell you what, I'm not here to make sales. I'm here looking for readers. I am looking because this is a series of, of 25 books I've got planned. I'm looking for readers. Let me give you a copy of this. It's making a man. Let me just gift you this copy. She looked at it, put it down and walked away. I was like, and this is like day, this is day one, hour one. I'm like, I can't even give this away. Can't even give it I'm away. I'm trying to give it away. She won't even take it. And then, but the, the people that I'm for, bought. The people that I'm for were there. I was there for them. You, It's all part of it. And if you just learn it, it's a game. It's a numbers game. Anything like that, whether it's selling or influence or service, it's sometimes you try to be of service to people in a nonprofit situation and you're rejected there. You're like, wait a minute, I am volunteering. And you're not like, so it's, it's about a numbers game. And if you look at it like that and you have enough passion for what it is you're doing, then you will persevere through the rejection. And that's the question. 
Do you have the mental toughness? And if the answer is no, then you can gain it. You can gain the skills because that's all they are. It's not any different than playing golf. I don't know how to play golf very well, so I don't know if I can handle the rejection of getting into the rough every time. Well, you could gain skill. And I'm not passionate about golf, so I'm not going to. But if I'm passionate about writing or service or radio or podcasting or, or a new job or opening a business, then you can do it. You can gain those skills. And there's people out there, a plenty, that will help you and help train you and Go out. All you have to do is ask for help, and there's a thousand people that are ready to help you today. Greatness. Uh, it's a process, I think, is what uh, Chris is saying here. You didn't have to buy the book. Chris spent the money. You put it up on the easel. He's read it for us. Final thoughts, Chris, here, about 40 seconds or so. Imagine the person you want to serve. Who do you want to serve? And that will draw you through any rejection and all the fires. That's it. You can find it. Uh, Chris Story, the man from Homer. Thank you, my friend. As always, it's good to talk with you. Hold the line for just a second. Folks, we're out of time for today. Tomorrow, Mike Shower will be joining us. Maybe another guest in hour one. Again, trying to get more towards the positive side. Doesn't sound like it this week, but we're working in that direction. Uh, we will see you tomorrow. Be kind, love one another, live well. The Michael Luke Show. So I just want to know, Chris, do you have this thing sitting on an easel in your room? That's that's what I want to know. Is it sitting there? I did. I did for a long time. Um, uh, well, a long time. I only had it for a year. But yeah, for the first six or eight months, I did. I kept it on the easel that it came with uh, in my library where I could see it. And uh, every now and then I would just kind of glance at it and go, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. And it would make me think about what it is that he was writing about and uh, then at some point i i wanted space and i moved it and i stuck it on the shelf uh next to a series of other books that i really like and, and kind of pull from uh occasionally and i just ran across it the other day and i was like man i needed this message i really needed this and one thing i wish i'd gotten to and i forgot about Dr. David Cook also wrote a book called Seven Days in Utopia, which is a fictional book about a golfer. And I haven't read it, but I saw the movie with, um, oh, uh, guys, an Academy Award winner actor. He was the father in, um, he was, he always, he was in Four Christmases. He was my favorite guy in that movie. Anyway, Four Christmases. I don't even know as I've watched that movie. Uh, what? You haven't seen Four Christmases with Vince Vaughn? No, I, I don't think I have. Vince Vaughn, Tim McGraw, Jean Favreau. Um, which, who was it? Who was it that was... It was, it was uh, James Caan. No, not James Caan. Uh, I can see him right now. Robert Duvall. Robert, Robert Duvall. Duvall. Okay, Robert Duvall. Yeah, okay. yeah Robert Duvall. That, oh, you've got it. Let's just segue here for just one second. I don't know that I can respect you any longer as a man if you haven't seen Four Christmases. That is that is a Christmas classic. Okay, I'm all right. Well, we'll five or six years you old. know, whoa, 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 whoa. Save your Christmas classics for the Tuesday of the 19th because that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk right. about music and movies. And I always love finding movies that I didn't know about. So, hey, I, Four Christmases, 2008. Uh, that movie's been out for a while. Oh, uh, oh man! So yeah, you're getting old. Um, but yeah, I'll uh, I'll I'll take a look at it. I'll watch it. I'll watch. All it. All right. So I kind of I forgot about the Obama years. Just really evaporated <laughs> in my mind. So it's eight years gone. It's eight years so, of my uh, life that I'll never get back. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I love this. I love this idea again. Of you know, it's it's 
Chris, people say, well, there's, you know, it's always the same stuff, you know, not of you specifically, but when people talk about PMA, they're like, it's always the same stuff. And I'm just like, there's nothing new under the sun. It's always just a repackaging of the same principles and a little bit of a different wrapper that may be more palatable to you this time around. You know, I mean, that's really what it's about, right? It's a, yeah, it's just like a good book. You can read a good book repeatedly and you'll get something different out of it each time, not because the book is different, but because you're different. And you maybe a, a message that doesn't land today might land in six months. And so, yeah, I, I don't mind repetition. I enjoy so long as somebody's, I mean, look, I think it was, uh, Kurt Vonnegut said, there's only four stories that have ever been told. I mean, truthfully, there's only four, to- four right. stories. That's it. And, that, and everything else is a variation on that theme. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's true. I mean, it's that's the whole phrase is that there's nothing new under the sun. Um, I mean, that's you know, but, it's that's but you watch Seven Days in Utopia. Seven Days in Utopia is a fantastic movie, and it encompasses a lot of what Dr. Cook puts into this book on greatness. But it's it's just a really good simple story about a golfer who's sort of lost his swing and and he finds this little town in texas called utopia and spends a week there it's really quite uh it's a charming inspiring movie all right watch well good we got it on our movie recommendations for this uh, time around chris story the man from homer thank you my friend as always pleasure to speak with you my pleasure michael take care it you're not going to bill me for this right right oh he hung up did you hear that he just hung up on me Dang, I see how I rate. All right, uh, folks, we're out of time. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow. Don't forget to go out and post your recipes up for me, will you? We'll see you then. Have a great day. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show